So before we dig into the word today, um, I'd like to just say a quick prayer if you'd pray with me. Father God, uh, we know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. I pray, Lord, that you will bless this encounter today. Uh, May these be your words and not mine. May you prepare minds and hearts to receive it. Lord, may you be made great and I be made small this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to wrap up our Unsung Heroes series. We've been looking a deep dive into the names we don't know, the, not the Moses and Davids and Josephs of the Bible, but the, the ones that are lesser known names, maybe even never heard of names, as we've looked at how God uses all people, ordinary people, um, for his will, for his glory. And so we're going to wrap this up today, and we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen, or whatever app you use, I invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 2. But I got to give you, I would say, a little bit of background before we go into the scripture text, but I got to give you a lot of background. Um, we, I need to back you up about 40 years, because what's happened is before this, about 40 years, Moses has brought the people out of slavery, and they are on the brink of going into the promised land. That's where they're at. And he sends out 12 spies. I see some of you nodding. You know the story. Moses sends out 12 spies to scout out the promised land. And two of them come back, and they say, this land is truly a great land. It is going to be so good for us when we take this land, when God gives it into our hands. But 10 of them have this report of fear. The people are giants. We appear like grasshoppers in their eyes, and and we feel like grasshoppers. We can't do this. And so what happens is God says to them, says, you are not going into the promised land. Moses will not see this land. For 40 years, you are going to wander in the wilderness. So fast forward 40 years to Joshua chapter 2. Moses has passed away. Moses has died, and Joshua is now leading the people. The two spies that came back with that faith report, those of you who know the story, one of them was named Caleb. The other was Joshua. It is the time now for them to go into the promised land to take this, and this is where we encounter our unsung hero, for today. So in Joshua chapter 2, this is where we meet Rahab. I'm going to begin with verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. That's a lie. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Another lie. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut 
as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So who is Rahab? You know, if you read commentaries about this, Rahab was an innkeeper. And you may hear that story and say, why were those two men there? Because she was an innkeeper, and she also managed and ran a brothel. That's who she was. And those two men were not there for immoral reasons. They were there for strategic reasons. In, in this day, in this time, they couldn't just pull up Google to see what was happening on the latest news. You had to go where people were, where they were gathering, where they were having conversations to get a feel for the pulse of Jericho. To know what was happening in the city, they needed to be where people were going to be talking. And that was at this end. That was at this brothel. So it wasn't an immoral reason that brought them there. It was strategic that they were there. But make no mistake... Rahab was a prostitute. And we see here in the text, she, she was lying. She had deceived the king. And I would venture to say this is not the first time that she had probably hid a man on top of her end. So if we want to answer the question, who was Rahab? The answer I would have for you is she is a deceptive, lying prostitute. Now you may be sitting there, this is our unsung hero. A deceptive, lying prostitute. Yes, she is. And isn't that fantastic? I mean, that is good news. And I want you to think about that. Have you ever in your life had that feeling of uncertainty with what lies ahead? The, the self-doubt that comes with what you may be facing. You know, I'm, I'm not equipped for this. I, I don't know what to do. I am not prepared for what lies ahead of me. I'm just not qualified. You may even cry out, God, I don't understand. I'm not the one for this. That is absolutely someplace I've been before more than once. I get that. And so if that in any way, shape, or form resonates with you, this is fantastic news. Rahab was a deceptive, lying prostitute, and God was about to use her in a mighty way. Because that's what God does. He doesn't just sometimes use unprepared, unqualified people. He specializes in it. That's our God. None of us are qualified. None of us deserve the grace we got from Jesus. But we got it. And God uses us. That's what happens. So this Rahab, this deceptive, lying prostitute, you may say, man, God could never use someone like me. I would say that is exactly what God does. Because we see it here in this story. So Rahab was unqualified, an unexpected choice. But let's look at what Rahab did. I'm going to continue in the story. I'm in verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, 
whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heavens, above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So this unqualified, unexpected hero, what does she do? Rahab is known for faith. Rahab has faith. And I want you to think about this. Think about what we get from this text right here because 40 years ago, 10 men came who had experienced God. They had experienced what God does. They walked through dry ground on the Red Sea. They were ones who experienced all that had happened as they came out of slavery and they came back with this report of, man, we can't do this. God can't do this, this fear report. But a prostitute right here who had never experienced, never been a part of that, she has greater faith than all 10 of them. Rahab is known for faith. Listen to the language she uses. In verse 9, and I said to the men, I know, not I think, not I hope, not I wish, I know. And it's not off something she's experienced yet. She has heard the stories and believed. And then it goes on. In, in verse 11, she says, for the Lord your God, he it's not maybe, he could be, I think he might be. He is God in the heavens above. Rahab had faith. Faith like nobody else in that day and age. That's part of why I believe they were at the house of Rahab is because God knew Rahab was prepared to act on her faith. So it brings us to a question, where is our faith. In this tumultuous time and day and age we live in, how is our faith? How strong are our convictions about our God? I think sometimes we waver. Sometimes we get caught up with the situations of the day. We get bombarded with all the news and fake news and all the junk that's going on in our world and we forget that our God is over this whole world and everything else there is. We need to be a people that grow our faith. And here's the thing about it. Faith is just like our bodies. When you exercise, you get stronger. When you exercise your faith, it gets stronger. You grow it. So I've got four steps for you that I pulled out. Real practical, real simple in how to grow our faith. And I would tell you first and foremost, step number one in growing our faith is that happens through salvation. I can't be any clearer. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you not, have not laid your life down and said, God, you are Lord of my life and you 
are now in charge, then you are someone who needs to seek out God for your salvation. That is the greatest thing you can do. And that opens us up to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit acting helps us grow our faith. Point number two, I would say, is through prayer. And we say, of course, these are simple. Yes, they are, but they are things we need to do. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. And I would encourage us to do exactly that. If you carve out a prayer time every single day and you spend a half hour in prayer in the morning, fantastic. Do you pick that habit back up throughout the day? Are you driving down the road knowing that you're about to be stressed out with all the construction and say, God, help me to be patient as I do this? Help me to drive under your influence, God, under no other influence. If you're the parent of a child that is tough and hard to deal with at times, as all children are, I have all teenagers right now. I do a lot of praying about kids right now. That's the reality of it. Sometimes it's just you walk in the house and you see something, and before you can even act on it, hopefully before you act on it, say, God, I need your words right here because my words are about to hurt some feelings. You been there? We need to be a people that take praying without ceasing literally. Lifting situations up. None of them are too minor for God. We need to be a people that have a prayer habit. It will grow our faith. It will strengthen it. The third one is scripture. In everything that we're facing in the world today, all that you're going to see, there's going to be people that try to attack this book. And not this book, but what's in this book. The word of God. The word of God is authoritative. It's true. It is good for reproof. It is the inspired word of God. I believe that when we take the word of God and do two things with it, we study it and we read it. One verse every day. Just read a verse a day in this book and your faith will grow. I promise your faith will grow. You will encounter God. That verse will come into your life in activities that will be happening. You'll be like, oh, that was like that verse I read. And then all of a sudden that will remind you, I need to pray about this. You pray about it. And then God acts on it. And all of a sudden you start to get to a place where you're kind of like your own hero. You're like, man, all right, God and I got this. You're walking a little different. You're not living in fear. That is how it starts to work. And the fourth one is through our community. If you don't have a couple of strong people, I think it's real interesting in this passage of scripture, Joshua was a part of 12 spies that went and messed up. They didn't get it. So Joshua sent out two. The man learned a lesson. Sometimes a big group, some of y'all are nodding, is hard to really be a part of. But you need to have a couple of people in your life that you can seek after God with, that you can be open and honest completely with. And the cool thing about it, what I found, is they help me see God. Because sometimes, sometimes I'll send up a prayer. And and I'll send up a prayer and God will act. And then I don't give God credit. You ever done that? I mean, he works and it's not like, you know, they don't have heart music and angels and all of that. So how are you supposed to recognize that it's God sometimes, but it's a little minor thing. And all of a sudden, you know, my boys are being lunatics and I pray about it. And 15 minutes later, they get caught up on their video game systems and they're playing games and are quiet as a church mouse. And I I don't go back and say, thanks, God. 
a community will help you see God working in your life. A community looking into your life from the outside gives you perspective. These will grow our faith. So let's, let's move towards the end of this story. Let's wrap this up. I want us to look. We've looked at who Rahab was. We've looked at what Rahab did. You know, once again, a prostitute with faith. Let's look at what God does. I'm going to pick the story back up in verse 14. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. God, right here with this faith-filled prostitute, does what God does. He makes a promise. He goes into a covenant with Rahab. Now, it's really interesting to me. Rahab has things that she has to do. She has to bring her family into her home so that they will know where they're at and they're safe. And she has to tie the scarlet cord in the window. Um, this, this scarlet cord. Does that remind you of any other time maybe God acting? Think about the Old Testament when they were coming out of Egypt and they were going to have the angel of death come through and they sacrificed the lamb and put the blood, the scarlet colored blood on the doorway so that the, the angel of death would pass over and spare them. That's exactly what this is referring back to. That's what God does. He makes a plan to spare his faithful servant. And they put a scarlet blood-colored cord in there, and the angel of death is going to pass over. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood, and by his blood, we can avoid death. We can avoid destruction. We can pass that and come back in to favor with our God, living where we should, how we should. There's things we should do as a Christian. We know them. We know right and wrong. And we have them in this book. And there's things we should do. But I want to make sure I'm very clear on why we do them. None of the things we do, being good people, acting the right way, all of the service we do gets us salvation. Salvation happened because Jesus shed his blood for us. And we respond to what he did. That's what happens here they are saved because God chose to show them mercy, because God chose to work. And it's really cool. I want to just finish up Rahab with you. 
because she doesn't stay the same. But in this story, she's a prostitute. And I want to point out to you, God doesn't change Rahab right off the bat. He uses her right where she is. It's not, man, he moves her out of this and teaches her this and gets her prepared for this and then uses her. It's he uses a deceptive, lying prostitute right where he is. She appears, her name appears three times in the New Testament. And I want to give those to you because I just find it fascinating and I think it's so encouraging about what our God does. In Hebrews, she's recognized for her faith. And I won't have them on the screen, but listen to this. Hebrews 11.31. By faith... Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then in James, again in James 2.25, as you're speaking, James speaks about works and those being a response and faith and works and how it coexists. James 2.25 says this, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. But listen to those accounts of her. She's still Rahab the prostitute. That label. And that label doesn't last in the third account. The third account is in Matthew. And it's in Matthew chapter 1. And if you know your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1 is not really riveting. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. It is all the people that went before Jesus coming from the line of David, from that lineage, was so important for people to know he was who he was. And that lineage is listed out for us in Matthew. And in verse 5, it says this, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, Rahab. Not Rahab the prostitute. Rahab, the woman who gave birth to Boaz, who is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's this woman. And she's a great example of our God. God takes unequipped, unsure people and does amazing things with them. It doesn't always change them right away to do it. But that's what he does. And that's our lesson here from Rahab is that our God uses all people. Our God uses all experiences for his glory. So with that being the case, we need to be a people with faith that he can and will use us. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this woman, Rahab, for her faith that is modeled for us throughout the text. I thank you for the God that you are, that you don't let us be people who just coast that you open up opportunities for us to be your hands, to be your feet, 
to be instruments of your love. But we have to let you. God, we have to be a people of faith. I pray that you will let us strengthen our faith, Lord. May we seek you through your word, through prayer, through community. Lord, may we know Jesus as our Savior. And then, Lord, may you take us and use us in whatever way you want to further your kingdom here on earth until you come again. I pray for these things to come to pass in the mighty name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.